The stock market is now dominated by computers trading massive volumes of securities based on some equation, basically an algorithm. So it has nothing to do necessarily with you know, this morning's news in the paper. So you need to think about the investment decisions you're making in the context of markets that are now extremely large, very much computer driven and very volatile. There may be risks there that were not there a few years ago because of the way the market's structured. It is not our parent stock market any longer. That's economist Mark Levinson, author of The Economist Guide to Financial Markets. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Mark explains how understanding all the financial markets and how they've changed over the years can help us make fewer investing mistakes and can improve everything from our homes to our jobs to our portfolios. Then the fellas discuss what Tax Reform 2.0 has in store for us. How about paying for K-12 apprentice fees and repaying student loan debt with your 529 plan. More on that coming up. Plus, what should you do with a few extra bucks before they burn a hole in your bank account? How can you reduce taxes owed on an inheritance? And how do you protect your retirement savings from creditors like the OJ stuff? Here with the answers are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. It's that time of the show where we get someone that is extremely more educated than I could ever dream of. Mark Livingston's on the line here. He's an independent historian, economist, and journalist. He was a formerly finance and economics editor for The Economist in London and spent a decade working with institutional investors as an economist for J.P. Morgan Chase in New York. His latest book is The Economist's Guide to Financial Markets, uh, which has been issued in its seventh edition this week, has become a basic resource for individual investors around the world. His website is Mark Livingston. Dot net. That's M-A-R-C, MarkLivingston.net. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jim. Talk to me about your recent book. It's the seventh edition. It's all about markets. The first edition was done in 1999. Correct. So let's talk. Um, I got two two full questions. First, what made you write the book? And then second of all, let's talk about the changes that have happened since 1999 to 2018. Sure. When I left The Economist, I was asked if I would want to write this book for The Economist Books. They publish a series of books that uh, are meant to be of use to people in business. So it's sort of a, a reference book slash introduction for people who are interested in investing, but frankly may just not feel comfortable with what goes on in the financial markets. There's a lot they don't understand. And, and so the idea here is to make this simple and, and sensible to people uh, in an interesting way. That's what I've been trying to do. And uh, the book gets revised every couple of years because, frankly, there are a lot of things that change in the financial markets. In the seventh edition, there's a lot that's changed from the sixth edition. And if you go back to 1999, it's almost unrecognizable. Wow. When people hear the word market, you know, they might have a, a, a certain vision in their head and I think you explained that there's several different markets. It, you know, what market are you referring to if you hear that word, right? That's right. Although even in what you're describing, there's actually been a significant change since the first edition. When I first wrote this book, there was a chapter on stocks and a chapter on bonds and a chapter on futures and a chapter on options. One reason for that sort of structure is that stocks were traded on entirely different exchanges from bonds or from options or from futures. And that's no longer the case anymore. Okay, Financial markets 
in the form of exchanges, the places where a lot of the trading goes on, actually now trade all of these sorts of different instruments. And so these markets have begun to merge in certain ways. Uh, a lot of things that used to be traded on an exchange are now traded uh, off exchanges. They're traded directly among banks or among banks and their customers. So there have been a lot of changes in the structure of markets uh, over the years. Before I worked at The Economist, I worked at, at Newsweek magazine for a while. And of course, Newsweek had uh, great pictures. And, and when uh, we ran a story about stocks, we usually ran a photograph of somebody on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. This is what a trader is. Well, today you won't find too many people on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. That's not what traders do. Right. You know, when I think of trader or even the stock exchange or commodities exchange or, or any market, I, I think of the movie Trading Places. And so when, you know, they're in the pit and everyone's throwing paper and yelling and screaming and it's just chaos. Well, today it's nothing like that. Well, that's right. Uh, there are a few places where there are still live face-to-face -face financial markets, but they that's not where the real business is done. Um, most of the markets today operate by computer. Some of them have telephones involved, but places where traders are actually standing face-to-face -face and, and one says, uh, uh, I'll give you 10, and the other one says, I want 10 and a half, those days are done. You know, that's just we're not there anymore. Let's take a, a, a little bit of a step back and get maybe a little bit more elementary in starting out with if how you organize the book. It's uh, all right. Well, you, you kind of started out of why markets matter. You know, what is a market? Let's start there. Just kind of explain big picture of why it's so important for people to actually understand this. Sure. Obviously, a lot of people invest in their own right, and so they need to know how to manage their 401ks or, or whatever it is. But beyond that, uh, markets affect a lot of the things we do in, in our day-to-day -day lives. Do you want to buy a house? Well, you need to make a decision about whether you want to take out a mortgage, and if so, what kind? Do you think interest rates are going to go up over the next couple of years? Do you think they're going to be flat? Do you think they're going to go down? And if you're not willing to talk about the financial markets where those interest rates are determined, then you can't sensibly make a decision about whether you want a fixed rate mortgage or a floating rate mortgage. How do you feel about your job security? Uh, you think things are pretty good? You think you're going to be in danger of losing your job? Well, in part, that depends on the condition of the economy. If you think interest rates are likely to go up a lot, well, then the economy is probably going to slow down and we're probably going to have more unemployment. And so you need to think pretty explicitly about that before you make a decision about quitting your job or changing your job. So in many decisions in our day-to-day -day lives, the financial markets are important. Even if we don't think of the term financial markets, they play a role. You know, I think most investors understand what a bond is. And, and of course, hopefully uh, they understand what a stock is. But where do you think some, I guess, shortcomings are in an individual investor without understanding maybe the entire markets? Well, I think that there is a great deal of evidence that most individual investors misunderstand risk. And you see this because the very large number of people who take the money in their IRAs or their 401ks and say, I want to put this into a treasury bill because I want it to be absolutely safe. And people don't understand that every investment of any sort involves risk. It's a question of which risk you want to take. For example, if you're buying treasury bills and suddenly inflation goes up, your treasury bills are going to earn you less than the rate of inflation. So they're going to lose value in real terms. That's a risk. And I think one of the 
reasons it's important to understand some of these different instruments is so you can understand that each one is associated with some different combination of risks. I've just heard from uh, you know too many people the risk averse and the data support that. We've actually changed regulations in the United States so that employers don't automatically put workers by default into the no risk option in their 401ks because too many people were just saying you know put me in this no risk option and of course this no risk option is is paying you know 1% interest and uh, the people who are choosing that option are not going to have enough money to retire on so we've we've actually had to tell people effectively uh, you need to be able to take risk and you need to think about which risks you're prepared to handle because there is no risk free answer you know, we're talking to Mark Livingston here. He wrote uh, The Economist's Guide to Financial Markets. It's the seventh edition. I would imagine someone will read this and they will have a very good understanding of how all markets work, but the tendency is for them to still lose money. And I think probably in the eighth edition, you might have to add some behavioral uh, finance to this just because we could be the most smartest people in the room, but we still make some mistakes just because we're human. Well, I think that that's true. There's a lot of evidence that a lot of investors make mistakes. Uh, you know, we, we buy at the wrong time, we sell at the wrong time, we own too much stock in our employers, uh, we own uh, too many treasury bills and CDs and other things that we think are low risk. So there, there are a lot of, of behavioral mistakes that we make. You know, one of the big mistakes that, that people do make when they're investing on their own is that they're afraid of saying, I don't understand. Uh, so they buy stuff that somebody tells them about, but they don't really understand what they're buying. Uh, they don't understand what risks they're taking on. And again, the fact that they're taking on risks isn't necessarily a bad thing. You, As an investor, you need to be able to take on some risk, but you need to understand exactly what risk you're, you're getting involved with. And, and so part of the purpose of a book like this is just to help people understand uh, what the trade-offs are as they contemplate one type of investment or another. I think that a lot of the old investing rules are pretty good, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, you know, and you don't really need an investment guide to tell you that. But these markets, they, they function in a very different way from the way they used to. And it's important for you as an investor to, to understand that because that has implications for what you do. Uh, in the stock market, for example, on the one hand, as an investor, you probably need to be in the stock market. On the other hand, the stock market is now dominated by computers trading massive volumes of securities based on some equation, basically an algorithm. Okay, so it has nothing to do necessarily with you know this morning's news in the paper. It may be just because something in this algorithm was triggered to trade today. And so you need to think about the investment decisions you're making in the context of markets that are now extremely large very much computer-driven and very volatile. For a lot of investors, that means that while there's a place for investing in individual stocks and bonds and, and even options if you want to play in that market, there may be risks there that were not there a few years ago because of the way the market's structured. And you should think about that in putting your portfolio together and how deeply you want to get into these markets. So uh, I think that uh, financial markets are essential and people need to participate in them. But they, they need to uh, think about what they're doing and understand what uh, what choices they're making. I read somewhere, I think this is prior to World War One. is that most um, 
equity investors or individual um, stock investors were individuals that they held the certificates in the institutions. Um, you know, were a small percentage. And of course, today um, that's flip flop. About ninety percent of direct stock ownership are owned by institutions, or maybe it's eighty percent. Um, and, and ten or twenty percent are owned by individuals. And within that, the, the the markets are completely different in a sense of that there's so many billions of dollars that trade hands on a day by day basis is that it's it's pretty hard to find the inefficiencies within the market or mispricings within the market. Not saying that there are not mispricings, but to capitalize on those mispricings today, I think is probably a little bit more challenging than maybe when you wrote the first edition. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you've got now thousands of computers out there that are running equations all the time trying to identify mispricings. And, and if there is one, it's only going to last a second or two and somebody will discover it and they'll buy or sell based on uh, on some algorithm. And as an individual, you can't hope to compete in that market. Yeah, I know there are a few folks who do day trading and that's fun if you enjoy that kind of stuff. But you know, that's not really a strategy if you're somebody who's concerned about uh, accumulating some wealth and and uh, improving your living standard and having a, a sensible investment portfolio. So you do need to understand how this works. Even though there's uh, all of this change, um, you know, a lot of the old rules still apply. You're probably familiar with this famous story that James Tobin, back when he received the, the Nobel Prize in economics, he uh, was asked, so what was all your economic work about that got you this prize? What have you done in economics? And he says, well, my work tells you, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's still great <laughs> advice. Right? You, you don't need to be a Nobel Prize winning economist to understand that advice. It still applies just as much today as, as it did 20 years ago or 50 years ago. Absolutely. Um, hey, Mark, where can people find uh, more about you, more about your work? They can find out about me on my website, marklevinson.net. It's M-A-R-C, Levinson, L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N.net. And my books are available at your friendly local bookstore. Mark, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking some time. Enjoyed talking with you. For a transcript of this interview, check out the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and subscribe to the podcast while you're there so you don't miss our upcoming interviews with author and podcast host Meb Faber and former Motley Fool and Wall Street Journal columnist Morgan Housel. For some ideas on investing given these volatile, evolving markets, visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free white paper, Pursuing a Better Investment Experience. Learn 10 key decisions that will help you effectively target long-term wealth in capital markets, find out how to let the markets work for you, why chasing past performance is a mistake, what drives expected returns, and how to improve your odds of long-term success. Download the white paper, Pursuing a Better Investment Experience for free from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. That article I just gave you. Yeah. They're making some changes. They're trying to make some changes on Capitol Hill. Yeah, so uh, this is the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, Chairman Kevin Brady. Uh, so he released on Tuesday some more um, some kind of pro-growth uh, savings measures because what they're trying to do, they're trying to make sure that we're all saving enough for retirement. 
So they're trying to add a few things. Like, for example, in this tax reform package, there's a new uh, family-friendly retirement savings vehicles called USA accounts. So we'll see if that actually passes or not, but that's what's being talked about. What's a USA account? So it'll it'll provide tax incentives for households to save while allowing withdrawals for critical life events. So in other words, instead of putting money to a retirement account, then you can't touch it until 59 and a half when you have an emergency. Mm -hmm. You might be able to get at it. if, if there's a some, critical life event, a critical <laughs> that means that we and already it, have that. It's a hardship. Yeah, we do have that. <laughs> but that's what that's what they've told us is what they would like to do. Uh, and the idea is to get families to save earlier because if they know that they can use this, I guess for an emergency fund, maybe they'd be more likely to save into the retirement account. So that that's the idea. Got it. You and I know the problem with that, right? The problem with that is everything's an emergency. Money's withdrawn. Right. You get your retirement. There's nothing left. So we'll see about that. Another one, Joe, is an expanded 529 uh, educational accounts that would build upon improvements of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, so that families can use their education savings to pay for an expanded menu uh, of educational expenses, including the cost of homeschooling. So that would be new. That's uh, the only. I, I mean, they've already expanded the law in the in, yeah in for the Jobs pri- Act. They they did, and it used to be for college level only. only. Right now, it's for for private schools. Sure, right all the way through. Yep, K through twelve. Uh, also, apprentice fees to learn a trade, uh, and uh, also repayment of student debt. So that's not oh. something that you can do right now. Okay. So anyway, so that's uh, then. There's a new baby savings plan. Baby savings. Yeah. So this is designed to allow families to access their retirement accounts penalty free for expenses on welcoming a new child to the family. Hmm. So that sounds like a critical life Crit- event. Or yes. What, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so, the, yeah, so those are kind of the highlights there, and so we'll, we'll see what happens. So let's say that you are on Capitol Hill, Al. What changes would you make to our retirement system? Uh, great question. I think the first thing that I would try to do is, is create much more parity and, and to, and what I, what I mean by that. Yeah, please. It, I don't know what parity means. Yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I mean by that is some people have employers that have 401k plans or 403b plans. They can put $18,500 into that. Then they can also put money into an IRA or Roth IRA, $5,500 total per year. Some people do not have 401k plans or 403b plans, and they're limited to just the IRA Roth of 5500 So you might be living to your ne- neighbor, and your neighbor put in three or four times as much as you did. Right. And how is that fair? Yeah, and here's the problem, I think, with just human nature is it's really difficult to pay yourself first. We pay ourselves yes. last. We do. That, in a sense of savings is correct, what I mean. We correct. spend our money on everything else, but then the last thing, oh, I got a couple of bucks left over. Oh, maybe I just yeah. run this IRA. And, and, of course, there are exceptions, but but most of us, that's what we do. I'd say 90 95% of us, we, we say that we're going to save every month with whatever's but left over. But life happens. And, Things and happen. Nothing, nothing's ever left over. Right. And so in, in the studies show is that people with a 401k plan that work, you know, we'll look at cases and then I'll ask um, our advisors, and I'll say, do you think this person is a good saver? And they'll have a 401k plan of, let's say, a million dollars. Yeah, which sounds great. Right. Which, oh, which, man, that person's is. a phenomenal saver. And then I'll be like, well, this person had a 401k plan with a match for 40 years. 
So they only probably needed to put in a few thousand dollars <laughs> to get that match. Right? And yeah. then you get the match of a couple thousand bucks. It's not that big of a de- You know what right. I mean? Sure. If I had an IRA, well, now I have to go to Vanguard or T. Roll Price or something like that to set that up. It's not out of sight, out of mind. I have to cut a check. Yeah. So someone that has a 401k plan that can check a box, that money goes automatically into the account sure. versus someone else that has to physically cut a check, of course the person with the 401k is going to have more money. There's no question. The same thing happens with tax withholding, and the IRS knows this. So, so that's why so, they collect their taxes. That's right. That's why they don't wait till you're in and oh, you owe twenty five thousand dollars. What? I don't have that. Where do I get that? That's why I take it out of your check every so, so week. That's, that's why we take a thousand bucks out of your check every week or every other week, whatever right. it may be, so that by the time you get to your end. Yeah, maybe you owe us a couple hundred dollars, or maybe we owe you a couple hundred dollars, but we're pretty close. Right, yeah. right, right, right. No, I agree. That's the one thing that I w- that needs to change. Yeah, is that there's got to be parity. Parity. You yeah, like that? You I like do. that word? I like it. Right. Because <laughs> I. But the problem too is all right. Well, the the, the problem, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to interrupt you one no, second. No, no, please. Because we're still on this this top. The the problem is just what you said is not only is there not parity in terms of saving, but if you if you have a, a, a kind of an, an overall thing that everybody can do, then they're on the honor system to make sure they save, and you have to you have to coordinate it with the employer. Ha- yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Bright yeah. minds think alike. Apparently, because it, if we had that parity and say, okay, now here's the you have a 401k plan that's an IRA. Right. So it's not by the employer. You can set it up on your own, and you can put in eighteen thousand five hundred. Right. How well do you think that's going to go over? Yeah, it's, it's N- same not, problem. Same, same problem. problem. Yeah. So yeah, it's got to be tied in with your salary. It's it's got to be out of sight, out of mind. And what's really working the best right now in terms of four hundred one ks is the auto enrollment. Yeah. So you don't even sign up; it just happens. So if you don't want it, you have to you elect out. But no one understands any of this, so it's just oh, I guess right. I thought is... I was getting paid. Oh, I think that's taxes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they got a four hundred one k with fifty thousand. Yeah, whoa, oh, whoa. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a nice little gift. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. Right. Uh, we're not trying to make fun of people, are we? No, but I just think the, it's, there's it's, the system is flawed. It's it's well, it's yeah, the system is flawed because because it's not equal. Do, do you want to? You got a four hundred one k, four hundred three b, four fifty seven, four hundred one a. Right. You got a SEP, a simple, right. a keyhole. Yeah, a, uh, a keyhole. A keyhole. A keyhole. Keyhole. <laughs> Defined benefit plan. Defined benefit plan. Yeah. A profit sharing. Right. Money purchase plan. What the hell? I mean, the list goes on and on and on about. Uh, let's and just then, and then let's get a Myra. Yeah, let's, I was just going to say we added a Myra to make this way simpler. <laughs> right. And so the government spent, I don't know. But, they, uh, they, several hundred million dollars. They, they spent more money that actually went into the program. That's ex- I was going to say that it was a complete bust. Complete. The, the The idea was okay, which was to take a what would otherwise be like a, a Roth IRA and have it coordinated with your salary, but it didn't catch on because of some of the other flaws with it. <laughs> the other flaws. The whole thing was a flaw. Well, you should have called the flaw. The, the flaw. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's wit at its best. That is, right? That's why people listen to our oh, show. Oh, God. Because it gets no worse than this. <laughs> I think people listen and go, how bad? Can, I love how bad this these guys are. This is just a train wreck. It's, it's, it's a train wreck. Here, listen to the show. It's the worst show I've ever... You know, I'm embarrassed. I, can't, I can't stop listening, I'm though. embarrassed for these guys. They're <laughs> oh, it's like watching a car accident. Right. You, know, you just can't... In slow motion. <laughs> you just for, can't keep your eyes out. hour after hour. 
Hey, the hours and hours of this train wreck car accident in slow motion somehow manages to eventually get around to helping people to create a better retirement. You may have noticed one of the things Joe and Big Al are pretty decent at is answering listener questions, though they have been caught talking in circles there too. Take your chances at getting some gems from the worst show you've ever heard. Send your money questions to info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Here are some of those emails now. We got um, Josie from Pasadena, uh, California. So just a little north of us. So she writes, I've learned a ton from your podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you, Josie. So that's why we're doing yours first. Of course. <laughs> we like the compliment. I started a new job recently and now have an extra $10,000 burning a hole in my checking account. I don't want to waste it. My husband and I have already maxed our Roths for 2018 and we're contributing to our 401ks up to the matches. Well, congratulations. We just talked about that in the last segment. Yes, we did. I increased mine by 1% after hearing it on YMYW. Listen to that. I love it when they say YMYW. <laughs> I like, guess, like we're important. It, yeah. It's to like get, it's to we get, get letters. Yeah. It's, I, um, I guess this $10,000 is now our emergency fund since we didn't have one before. Where should this asset be located? I heard that on uh, YMYW too. Asset location. Very right, good, Josie. Right. Um, our expenses are low, but it's likely we need to move within the next six months, and rent will probably be significant higher. Is there something productive we could be doing with this money in the meantime? Thanks again for everything. So that's a great question, Josie. And I'm going to tell you that you need to build up your emergency fund. The fact that you got $10,000 that you didn't have before and you're going to be ha- having higher rent, you actually don't want to do anything with any risk at all. You could leave it in your checking account. But I, I would actually probably open up a, a little savings account or money market account so it's separate money. So you're not tempted to spend it. That's your emergency fund. And, and eventually you'd like to build that up to maybe three months or maybe even six months of your expenses. That's what I would work on before you think about any more investing. And then when you still have, if you, if, once you've done that, I'd probably go back to the 401k and start saving more into that. That's what I would do. I would uh, take the 10000 and short Facebook. <laughs> I, I know you would because you're a gambler. <laughs> And then uh, just cross your fingers, right. and then in a couple of months, boom, that 10000 is now 100000 or it's zero. Or if your cousin comes to you with an investment opportunity, why wouldn't you do that? Of course, or your Uber driver. Right. Um, <laughs> Stock tips from Uber drivers? <laughs> yes. Best ever? Uh, so, no, I agree with Al. Um, so... Just keep the money cash, or I like the money market account. You I, can I go like, to like Vanguard too, a mutual fund company. Check out their maybe a short, very short term yeah. bond fund. You might get a point and a half. I, I'll tell you what. What I've done, and I think this works pretty well, is is my emergency fund. I actually went to a different bank. I actually went to a credit union and put it in that. So it's so it's not very easy to get at. So if I, I, I'm only going to get at it with it. Because if it's at the same bank, I can do an inter-account transfer. I can easily spend it. So that's what I've done. And it's kind of like the envelope m- method? I guess, yeah. Different different banks for different purposes. And then you just hide the envelopes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, know wh- I don't know which bank it is. <laughs> yes. Anne knows that. No. Uh, all right. Uh, next one. We got John from San Diego. Um, John writes, I just inherited MetLife annuity from my sister. Um, sorry to hear about that, John, that your sister passed. Uh, the agent said, I must take a lump sum. 
He suggested rolling over into a stretch IRA annuity. The agent also mentioned I would pay tax if I took the lump sum. Are there other options to avoid tax? Alan? Well, so uh, do we make the assumption that this annuity was inside of an IRA in the I first would, place? Yes, or a 403B mm-hmm. or some sort of retirement account. Yes, right. So uh, when you inherit, the, let's say if it's an IRA, when you inherit the IRA, uh, just by um, making sure you have the right titling, you don't have to set up a new account. It, it, it can become a stretch IRA. And you can talk about the titling. You like to, you like to talk about that. I do. I love it. I go on dates and I talk about stretch IRA titling. Now we know what the problem is. That is the problem. But uh, yeah, and and then if, if, so you get it titled properly into, so, well, into, into a stretch IRA. Hold on there one second. Jim. I'm sorry. And, and <laughs> I know you want to interrupt me. But. No, I, I don't. <laughs> but so. then it, then it's an annuity. It's a, I'm assuming it's annuity inside an IRA. You can take the lump sum inside the IRA. There's no taxes there because it's still in the IRA couple of things. So if you want to blow out of the retirement account, so here's the problem where people get a little bit confused. There's two separate things here. There is a shell of a retirement account, and then there's also an investment. Sure. So Al and I get the question often is that, hey, I have a Roth IRA or I want to start a Roth IRA. What does it pay? Right. We do get What that. type of rate of return does a Roth IRA get? Yeah, I've heard IRAs are better than Roth IRAs. It, yeah. Well, I had a Roth. It's awful because it, it didn't make any yeah, money. It made like $100 right. over five years. That is not, that's the investment inside the shell of the account. And so what, John, you inherited a MetLife annuity, but if the agent is telling you to stretch it or you could put it into a stretch IRA, so those are two different things. The annuity from MetLife is the product. That is the investment that you're in. It's probably in a shell of a retirement account. That's what it sounds like. So if you blow out of the retirement account and the annuity all at once and say, I don't like the annuity, you know, just send me a check. He's absolutely right. You take it as a lump sum. It's going to be 100% taxable that year. However, you can do this. You could set up a separate inherited IRA account, let's say at Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price. I don't care. If you don't like the annuity, if you don't like MetLife, you don't like this guy, you could say, hey, I'm going to set up a stretch IRA. This is what I would recommend to you. All right. The titling has to be in the sister's name, however. So it's whatever your sister's name is for the benefit of you, John. Right? And then it, whenever she passed. So you get the titling correct when you open up that account. Then you just do a, a, a direct custodial transfer from MetLife into the IRA, let's say, at Charles Schwab. I have no affiliation with Charles Schwab. It's just it's easy to remember. So now the money will come in cash. But you will not pay tax on that money. Now you have an inherited IRA sitting at Charles Schwab. Then you want to buy a mutual fund. You want to buy stock. You want to buy a bond. You want to buy CDs. Or you want to purchase another annuity. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. You, now it's sitting at Charles Schwab in an inherited IRA. What you need to do then is take out a required minimum distribution based on your life expectancy. So I'm not sure how old you are, John, but you have to take a look at Publication 590 in the IRS code to look at your age, and then it will give you a factor. And it will say, okay, you need to take out you know, 1% out of this account. And then each year, you're going to have to take out a little bit more. So it's based on your life expectancy. They want that account to get drained out. That will save you a ton of money in taxes. If you need the money, however, just cash the thing out, pay the tax, and move on. 
So it really depends on how much money's in the account. If it's like ten grand, I don't know, maybe you just blow the thing out, pay the tax, and move on with your life. If it's a couple hundred grand, you know, that's a pretty big tax bill. So you want to be a little bit more creative in what you're doing there to make sure that it's it's really the right thing for your overall financial goals. They don't talk about it on the show that much, but Joe and Big Al are not big fans of annuities. That said, we do have some resources available if you'd like more information about them. Just visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and type annuity into the search box right at the top of the page. You'll find our blog post on annuity pros and cons, as well as a recent episode of the podcast on life insurance, long-term care, and annuities. The website is actually a really huge resource full of articles, blog posts, white papers, and now over 500 educational video clips on pretty much every personal finance topic you can possibly imagine. And if you don't find what you need on the website, just email info at purefinancial.com and Joe and Big Al can fight over who answers your question. Here's another one. Okay. Um, Well, I don't like that you have these, Alan, because better when I can just surprise them. Oh my gosh, watching you two fight over papers is adorable. With the last several years, I've had to just write all these things down. Uh You give me about 100 numbers. Now Andy is being nice enough to actually print them out for me so I can read along with you. Got it, all right. But so... Full disclosure, I haven't really read these beforehand, so right. I think that's what you want. It's, it's kind of yes, a surprise. Yes, I don't want you studying the stuff I before. Haven't. I uh, haven't. Whatever. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can tell after that last answer. <laughs> well, you should have known. <laughs> I did tell you at the break, your answer was better than mine. So, John, listen to Joe on that one. Yes. Now we're going to Ross. Okay. All right. I still enjoy watching you characters on YouTube. Well, still. Still. Thank you. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, we're, I still uh, enjoy. What well, like you you stopped for? Well, it's like he he watched us like two shows, and I go, oh, I, there's no way I can I can watch I these he, for very long. But he still enjoys I, it. I guess so. as it turns out. I uh, would like to know a way to follow you currently. I think the problem is that he's watching the TV show on YouTube, so well, he'll be able to do that again very soon. Yeah, we got uh, season five starting up here pretty soon on TV, which will be also be on YouTube. One qu- okay. One Enough question. with the plugs. Jeez. <laughs> Here, let me read this CD. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd like to go to our... <laughs> no. Uh, one question. You had mentioned that ERISA protection... Uh, I'm sorry. You mentioned... Mentioned, he meant. That ERISA protected the retirement funds of a retirement plan from civil exposure. I have a SEP IRA plan. Do I have the same protection as ERISA in that plan is also protected from creditors, like the OJ stuff. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. OJ stuff. What happened with OJ? He's innocent. Come on, Ross. Didn't yeah. you see the... Yeah, but he he did all kinds of crazy stuff oh, to save his assets. OJ. Yeah. yeah. He, so I haven't he, talked about OJ. He's or... a, so, so I wonder if Ross has some... OJ stuff he wants I, to I don't know. From. Ross, what are you doing? <laughs> you got the, you so, got some gloves somewhere <laughs> that don't fit? <laughs> Well, I, I guess the, uh, I, the the main comment here is with an ERISA plan. A SEP IRA is not... Um, it's not. It's not an ERISA plan, so you do not have the same protection. However, Joe, uh, I think this was um, maybe within the last five years or so, uh, there, there is now protection on IRAs, any type of IRAs. It's The protection is a little over a million dollars. I don't know the exact amount. So it has it does have similar protection to a certain level. It's only bankruptcy, right? So if you get sued, right, you get a car accident or you do some OJ stuff, 
Right. I mean, that SEP IRA is not going to be protected. And there's federal law and there's state law. So you have is where's Ross from? I don't know. He's then, watching this on say, YouTube. So I don't know what be, state you live anywhere. in, Ross. Yeah. So you have to look at the state law um, because that's where it gets in the weeds a little bit, depending on what you're looking at. So if I just file bankruptcy, yes, my retirement accounts are protected. But civil lawsuits, then they are not as protected as they would be in a 401k. So OJ had a what the NFL plan, and, right? You know, sure. so all of that is protected under ERISA. Uh, do you know what ERISA stands for? Uh, I forget. Okay, it's retirement something something something. Okay. Um, so <laughs> what does it stand for? So I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I do know it's um, em- employment retirement. Income? Securities Act, something. Employee yeah. Retirement I mean, Income, income Security Act. Act of 1974. Oh, I got the first three right. Okay. All right. So, um, no, if you got some OJ stuff going on, um, you, might you need to fu- talk um, to an attorney. Yes. How to, how to, and, I, don't, I think Johnny Cochran died. Yeah, but he's probably had a nephew or something that took over. So, sorry, Ross. But yes, if it's bankruptcy, you're good. Um, civil, you want to look at your state. Now, 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 I don't know if you're still working or not, but if you have an employer that has an ERISA plan, they might be able to roll your SEP in, into that plan and have yeah. similar protection. But if you all of a sudden have a lawsuit on your hands and, and you then, do, now do, you, then right. you do it after the fact. Oh, I agree with that. I don't think that's going to fly. Yeah, you'd want to do it before, I think. Is, uh, so if, you have, if you're plotting something, <laughs> Ross. Well, <laughs> let it seize it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! All right, this, this went, just went dark. Going just bad. Let's see the next question. All right, Clint. Uh, greetings, Joe in Big Al. Where can I find a simple 2018 versus 2017 tax calculator? I had a shortfall of what 4,200 bucks last year on my federal taxes. When I heard the bad news from my CPA, I immediately elected to withhold an extra 200 bucks per paycheck. I get paid bi-weekly, live in Florida, and have already paid $4,200 more federal income tax than last year at this time. I earn approximately $95,000 per year and would like to know if any surprises are hitting my way next spring. Even with the 2018 standard deductions considerably higher in 2017, I cannot seem to find a simple online tax calculator. Should I continue to elect extra federal tax withheld, or am I good to go? Go Gators. Go Gators. Boom. Perfect. That's right. Go Gators, brother. (laughs) All right. This sounds like a question for me. The reason, Clint, you cannot find a simple online tax calculator is there is no such thing as a simple online tax calculator. The reason for that is tax law is very complicated. So it's it's not like plugging in, you save X number of dollars per month, you rate a return, you work X number of years, here's your retirement balance. No, it's it's not simple at all because there's a lot of factors in when it comes to taxes. So if you really want to fine-tune this further, what you do is you go buy yourself a, a copy of TurboTax. Tur- TurboTax would probably be the most common. There's other ones too. But you get TurboTax, you put your numbers in it. Tax layer. Yeah, that's another one. You're is right. free? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a hundred sure. bucks. Yeah, listen, probably fifty. All right. I bet you. So you go ahead and get some tax, uh, a tax software. 
2018 is not out yet, so that's the tricky part there. 2017 would be out. Uh, that's but so you could put your numbers in 2017, but still it's not going to quite answer your your question. Now, if you really want to do this correct, then you'd go to CPA that has tax projection software. You could buy that too. It's it's expensive, and you would really have to know what you're doing to be able to do that. Or you can hire Big Al for forty two hundred dollars. <laughs> In the meantime, yes, I like the idea of, of having extra withheld and, and whatever your shortfall last year, $4,200 last year, figure out X number of paychecks and, and just have that withheld between now and year end. So you're doing the right thing. But if you want to know with more certainty, you're probably going to need some professional help on that because the the, the TurboTax is, is only for 2017, not 2018. No, that's not going to help them because if, let's say, I don't know if Clint is single or married, you make $95,000, you look at 2400 um, or or the, the standard deduction, 12000 or 24000 Yes. Right, and so you have to look. Last year, what did you take the standard deduction? Did you itemize what was your itemized deduction? No, you can kind of do it in the back. A- Andy, look something up for me. Smartasset.com. I know there's a tax calculator there that I've used in the past. Uh, it's like Al said, you, you probably want to do something else, but I think you might be good to go. To be honest with you, yeah. Is there calculators in there? You can just hit um, taxes. Look at that. You go to taxes. See what, see what comes up. Oh, there you go. And then you go to income tax calculator. So go to smartasset.com. Clint, smartasset.com. You can kind of play with that. Um, now, if, if you have anything over and above the ordinary, other than salary, this probably won't It's work. not going to do it. If yeah. you have rental income and things like that, you can kind of guesstimate. But, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. But I think if, you, if you're already $4,200 more and you have the same amount of income and everything else is same, same, I would say you are good to go. I, I will say one, one other comment, and, and that is the, uh, the, the withholdings were changed in 2018 so that we would get more withholding back. And there was some concern by the CPA community that that that, we're, that people were not going to have enough withheld, withheld right. and we'll, we won't really know until April 15th of next year. So the fact that you're putting a little bit more in is probably a good idea. Thanks a lot for listening, Clint. Go Gators. Should be an interesting football season this year. How are you, uh, how you, how you looking this year? Phenomenal. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. New my, coach. Uh, my Colorado Buffs are not looking great. I don't think they've ever looked great. Yeah, they did. Not Two, two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were ranked number eight in the country. You forgot that just because all you pay attention to is your Gators. That's right. We'll see you guys next week. We got what Mark Faber coming on next week. Meb Faber. Meb Faber. We had Mark Levinson on. I was reading that it's wrong. Sorry. Meb Faber. Sounds great. We'll see you next week. Show's got your money. You well, have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Yes, special thanks to today's guest, economist Mark Levinson. Find out more about The Economist Guide to Financial Markets and all of Mark's other books and articles at marklevinson.net. Now, Clint and everyone else, for links to the online 2018 calculator that Joe just mentioned or any of the other resources the fellows talked about today, check out the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast there, too, so that you can catch Meb Faber and Morgan Housel on the show in the upcoming weeks. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Player FM, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and a bunch of others. But if we're not on your favorite podcast app, drop me an email at info at purefinancial.com and let me know, will you please? Same goes if you've got a money question for Joan Big Al. Email info at purefinancial.com or you can call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com.
Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Happy Tuesday! Unless it's not Tuesday when you're listening to this, then happy whatever day it is for you. See you next week.